you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. combat in Injustice 2. I think it's Sub-Zero versus Wonder Woman right now. I don't know what location, but uh, quite an evening. Uh, so <laughs> let's get to it, shall we? This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet. And uh, across from me, actually across the Skype, the airwaves, because I'm in Los Angeles, but back in San Jose. Rick Brett Snyder. That's right, podcast producer extraordinaire. We're doing a special episode tonight. Of course, if you are listening to us on your favorite podcast directory, uh, procurement device, I don't know, again, I know there's a vocabulary word for this that I keep missing. Um, but, uh, you know, by all means, rate us, review us, subscribe. Um, if there is a, a preferred method you have of taking podcasts that's not going to fanboyplanet.com, by all means, let them know you'd like them to carry uh, Fanboy Planet. And, of course, anything we talk about tonight, I don't know if we're going to talk about that much that would be something people will want to own for themselves. But maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, when you can't find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, you just prefer the convenience of Amazon. I'm not going to fight that anymore. Uh, I'm saying that there is, of course, an Amazon link on Fanboy Planet each and every page, and you can go through that, and we get a, a small uh, uh, piece of remuneration for helping spread the word. Uh, a little kickback, I guess, is the ugly ugly term, but let's go with it. We get a small kickback for anything you order through Amazon uh, through Fanboy Planet, uh, as well, of course, uh, Think Geek. We have an affiliation with Think Geek, and there's, of course, a lot of, a lot of geeky stuff, and they're having a sale this week, an anniversary sale, so it's definitely worth uh, checking out what's there through the link on fanboyplanet.com. And, of course, if uh, you would just like to help uh, offset the cost of hosting a, the podcast and uh, the website itself, you can donate at PayPal uh, through editor at fanboyplanet.com. That's E-D-I-T-O-R at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, com- compliments, commentary, criticism, you can write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also tweet us at fanboyplanet. And, of course, you can follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page that is also fanboyplanet. So uh, thanks for getting this far. Uh, this is uh, our kind of our special as far as uh, live conversation, uh, this will be a little uh, truncated tonight because uh, this is sort of a vacation week. But we did promise in our last podcast episode, we've got plenty of interviews from Comic-Con 2017 in San Diego. And tonight is all themed around, uh, they're all from a roundtable uh, for the upcoming home video release. Well, actually, we'll say the next Monday. Uh, theater one night only uh, Batman and Harley Quinn the animated film from Warner Brothers uh, starring Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester as Batman and Nightwing and Melissa Rauch as uh, Harley Quinn uh, and so uh, we got a, a, I got a chance to sit down and talk with some of the cast and crew there but first let us talk over one of the things we talked about on the last podcast was just concern over uh, the Dark Tower 
a movie that we were very much looking forward to. I think uh, I'm still looking forward to it. I know that uh, in the weeks, couple of weeks leading up to it, I had to adjust my expectations um, <laughs> because in my head, there's a huge sprawling epic. I'm not sure that's what was delivered, but I haven't had a chance to see it, but Rick did. So I wanted to give you an opportunity tonight, Rick, to talk about it because as much as I enjoy uh, The Dark Tower and, and really love Stephen King, I think you're a, a bigger Dark Tower fan, and so I think it meant, meant even more. Or maybe it's just that you have a better attention span these days. <laughs> I, I just feel no, no. I just feel like I've got so many fandoms that it's just like okay, if one doesn't take, okay, that's crap. I don't have to buy. Uh, you know, so I'm like, I'll get over it because next week there'll be something else that will that will attract my attention again. But I, I know that this movie was something you were looking forward to. Quite a bit, and uh, so yeah. Well, uh, you're you're right because no. it's been. I just I figured it out when I was writing my blog entry, uh, which I didn't offer to you because you'd already written something on Fanboy Planet. Um, but the uh, uh, between the first and the last book of that series so far, uh, four point five went through the keyhole was thirty years. And so I had been I've been involved in the uh the the hunt for the tower for 30 years. Um and so yeah, this movie meant a real lot to me. Um it was a little disappointing in that you're right. I was expecting a big sprawling epic and they couldn't really do that in 95 minutes, which is what it came in at. Um so and it it really felt underwritten. It didn't feel like the people who wrote it or the person who wrote it uh, really knew how to distill down what the book was about into a smaller amount of time or pick the right beats to have in the in the book, in the movie. Well, well let's, let's look at the genesis of this, and I can go back because I, I was covering, I think even when the first like nibbles of this happening – as a film, oh yeah, may have been before you got involved in Fanboy Planet. Um, before I knew you, you know, there, there's always these rumors, and it, it was so big and huge, and like, you know, how are you supposed to handle that? Oh yeah. Um, and at one point, and I can't remember where in in the history of film this hit, but J.J. Abrams, uh, Stephen King sold J.J. Abrams the rights uh, to the to the Dark Tower for nineteen dollars. And which, of course, 19 is a, uh, a very significant number uh, in. Oh, you're right. The, I forgot the that. Dark Tower mythology. So um, it was very specifically that reason, like J.J. Abrams said, I'll, I'll offer you 19. And I think Stephen King was so tickled. You know, it was like I think it was after Alias. And then Ron Howard was involved. And at one point and this and this still sort of exists. um it was that the plan was, I think Javier Bardem at one point was in talks to play uh, Roland. Right. And uh, and I think that was when Ron Howard was still attached. And I think that's how Akiva Goldsman, who is credited as the at least story by or something like that, he's the first screenwriter. And um, I suspect I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay uh, lay some responsibility there. I think he's. He's an underwriter. He's an enthusiastic fan, but I think he is an underwriter uh, who keeps getting work because he, he gets his name on really cool uh, on projects that I think are just cool, but cooler than he can actually deliver on. Um, it's I I tease, but 
but with 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 a little vitriol because he was the screenwriter for uh, Batman and Robin, the George Clooney one. Um, yeah. and Joel Schumacher takes a lot of the blame for that, but I think Joel Schumacher didn't write the, that script. Uh, <laughs> Kiva Goldsman did, and I I put the blame for, for the failure of that film on on that. Um, but um, the the conversation was that it was going to be you were going to have this first film, you were going to have it a went year back long, and forth. They were going to. Uh, a, yeah, a series, I mean, a, a series of made-for-TV movies. You know, there were there were all kinds of rumors. Well, and and some of them are still in play, and that's yeah. what I, I reported on last week. Was the day that Dark the Dark Tower opened, Sony announced, "Oh, we're still going forward with the television series." Now, I should say, no network is attached to the television series, but the, but the the thing was, the television series was supposed to be like a linking phase, just as the books go all over the place. You can't expect like, so in this case, you've got Idris Elba. He's going to play Roland. And now not having seen it, let's just say that the version that was, that I'd hoped for in my head was what was playing out. Idris Elba plays Roland as an adult, but the television series would have covered the, the young Roland uh, and, and will cover the basically yes. uh, the book wizard in glass. There were a lot of Marvel miniseries comics that, that kind of also filled in uh both adapted Wizard and Glass and filled in more more material there. So, so there was room to expand. Um, Robin Firth, uh, who was right. basically Stephen King's second brain in the writing of the latter novels. I, you know, I do hope that George R. R. Martin has one of those for to finish up, uh, you know, Game of Thrones. But um, so th- there had been that plan. Sony has announced the TV series is still going forward. Whether or not Idris Elba will be attached. My assumption, I'm going to go blind here. You've seen it, but I and I have not. My assumption was uh, I knew that the film that we were actually going to get was, because of the nature of the novels, actually a sequel, which I thought was really cool. And what I wrote last week about the TV series is, yeah. well, the way it really works is it could yet be another turn of the wheel as the phrasing of the, of the books would say, you know, yeah, it's it, difficult to discuss that without going into spoilers, but yeah, that basically that was, I think both of our expectations that this was, uh, that this was going to be, um, another, another turn at the story. Um, well, and that's, that's it without, yeah. without spoilers to say that's, that's it. Every time that every, basically every time the story is told it, there's room there's a, and appropriate for it to be told differently. Yeah. And that's only one of the one of the aspects of this. Another one that didn't play out in this is that King's other novels, because this is this is not just a story of a gunslinger who is a knight who is the, you know, the last heir to uh, to the royalty of this region, um, but it's also interdimensional, and the breakdown in in dimensions allows for a lot of Stephen King's other works to spill over into this, in particular, yeah. in particular The Stand and Salem's Lot and um, uh, Insomnia, uh, and a number of books that uh, actually, in some cases, for example, uh, Rose Matter, uh, the spillage works both ways. And so Roland spills into... Uh, an unexplained paragraph into Rose Matter. So it's uh, it's really a, an interesting way for a writer to kind of sum up and and collect his uh, his canon of uh, of stories into one, under one 
one storyline. Well, and I think we don't know a lot about what's happening on that Hulu series, Castle Rock, but I think Castle Rock is going to pick up some of that because the other problem is, okay, so Dark, uh, so the Dark Tower was a Sony film. I could be wrong, but I think that Salem's Lot is owned by Warner Brothers. And so that's the problem is once you've sold off these things for adaptation, just as Marvel has had that problem, right, with X-Men and so forth, King is in the same is in the same boat. So a lot of those things couldn't be touched upon because other people own it. So, you know, but ultimately, let's put all that aside and say you saw the film. What yeah. Did you- so I enjoyed the film. The right up, right up. I enjoyed the film. It wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't as big as I was expecting. Um, what did I like about it? I thought the casting was great. I thought everyone who appeared in the film that I was expecting from the novels were were terrific. It's a different Jake, you know. For example, uh, there's a, a, a boy from New York who figures in it. In the books, he's going to a a, a Tony boarding school. In the movie, uh, he's the son of a broken family, and um, and is uh, trying. They're trying the yeah. He's the son of a broken family, um, but still worked out great. They they included some scenes that I wasn't expecting, um, but I think what's most important to me about it is that it as a movie for people who haven't seen it seen or haven't read the read the the novels it did i was afraid that it wasn't going to have an ending that that it was going to cliffhanger somehow or or not be satisfying but in fact it it does have a for for its scope it has a satisfying ending it is a complete story and it does introduce all the things that will ease you into the the telling of additional stories as well. So it's a fine um, primer as a sequel. It also figures well as a prequel to what's mm-hmm. going to happen in um, in the other media that they develop on this. It's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> we were talking about the success of the film and reviewers, every review I've read has the reviewer commenting about people who have read the novels being unsatisfied. And I don't buy it because I think the people, the complaints that, that they're lodging against it, ignore the basic aspect of the, of the storyline, the, the, the circular cyclic uh, hero. It's it's an Arthurian um, thing where, you know, in, in Arthur, it's like, if he's needed, he will appear again, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, this movie for a failure topped the box office last weekend. It was a, sure. it was a, it was a bad it wasn't a great box yeah, office. Let's say, but this box office for a failure. Is Let like me good uh, but let's dive into that a little bit. So it made and this I was I held back on this when you said the importance of 19. It made 19 million dollars last week. Maybe it was supposed to make 19 million dollars. That was Cotet. <laughs> it was faded uh, to 19.5. 19.5. I round down. It's nineteen million dollars. Um, so, so that that's that. It also was only in. Um, oh, let's see. Let me get back to. I've got the the numbers in front of me. Um, let's see. 
it was in a f half as many um, half as many theaters as Dunkirk, which came in second. Um, the let's see, ah, there we go. Uh, Dunkirk was in. Ah, I'm gonna have to edit this. I, I, I lost my. Uh, no, we we lost. understand Dunkirk. I, I, it doesn't matter. Unless you're gonna tell me that. The Dark Tower was in 19 theaters. I don't no, think I, I, it's all le all leading up to it. No, it was it was in. Um, let's see, Dark Tower was in. Ah, it was in 3,451 3, theaters, and Dunkirk was in another 550. So it had it had Dunkirk had an edge on it. And I will tell you one other thing that probably was responsible for the difference in gross. Dunkirk is available in IMAX. Mm -hmm. Dark Tower is not available in IMAX or 3D. I saw I saw it at a matinee for 650. Right, and I saw Dunkirk at a matinee for 16 because I saw it at IMAX. That's true, but the so, other di the difference is this is also the third week of of release for Dunkirk. I think overall uh, when you look at what's happening the the box office it doesn't have anything to do with Dark Tower. Dark Tower is just just one perhaps symptom is everybody's seen wonder woman everybody's seen guardians of the galaxy the, the the story this weekend isn't as much the failure of or, or they could sluggish it's a dark tower succeeded on a sluggish weekend the story is that it's a sluggish weekend yeah that that there were still plenty of good movies and i gotta say dunkirk is uh a powerful film i'm not sure that dunkirk's gonna play well on home video um because of, of what the power of it is, you know, it, it's and why I saw it in IMAX was so that I could feel completely surrounded by it, which I think is Christopher, you know, Nolan's intent. But um, it's still it's significant when an IMAX an IMAX ticket typically costs about three times as much as a as a regular ticket, twice to three times as much, and that will add up on any any of these films. the 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 ability to see it in any number of three-dimensional formats and IMAX will will I believe cut into the the gross on. Anything. Oh no, no, but but Dunkirk is not. Dunkirk in 3D. is not in 3D. I understand that, but I'm saying yeah. that I'm saying that Dark Tower is the kind of film where you would expect. I, I would have expected that. I, I was surprised. I, I, I actually did some hunting and searching to see is it really only 2D and is it really only and it wasn't available in IMAX and. But, no, but let, find... you know, I mean, the other thing I, we should say, there's a weird thing about Dark Tower, about this film adaptation, and I'm not sure who this other company is. It's a co-production between Sony and a company called MRC, and I can't remember what MRC stands for and who they are, but because they were 50-50 partnership, they, had, they both had to agree on every single aspect of the film. Yeah. And, it's not, and, and then Stephen King also had to agree. So there's some, you know, when you have a whole bunch of cooks, let alone the poor director um, of of this film, trying to, which so I'm looking at the Hollywood Reporter article, and they don't even mention the director's name. Um, you know, it's like um, that, it, which tells me the guy with the least amount of say in what was going on was the director. Probably. And and so when that happens, you know, you, you just you have kind of you're trying to please a whole bunch of different masters instead of trying to make a vision and not having seen it you know i realize i'm speaking completely out of ignorance there but i i i that 
that fills me with dread. I still want to see it. One, because I love the casting. And you've just said you like, you know, you like the cast. I love the casting. I want to see those, those two actors. Yeah. Uh, take each other on. So, but, uh, uh, but I do, it's a $60 million film and it should have, you and I both know that if they had done the film, right, it would have had, it would have clearly had as many special effects as, any of the smaller Marvel movies. Spider-Man Homecoming was $175 million for that film. So I have a question. I have a question of one scene that is always stuck in my head yeah. from the dark, to, uh, from the gunslinger. Right. And actually it may not be, it might be from the second book. And after the gunslinger, I lose track of which ones are which. Um, I know the wolves of Kala are there because I love that, that title. Yeah. Um, but uh, the crabs. On ah, the, beach. the lobstrosities. Are they there? No, they're not. Apparently, they may show up later. I was reading okay. something about that. Okay, um, so to me, like, what's also missing is major set pieces. The lobstrosities don't show up until um, until the second book. Okay, so that's all right. And that's that's where Roland has a major setback that holds him through the rest of the... Right, that, okay. You know. So, all right, uh, still have hope. Let me drop in a couple of quick news things because I think they're going to matter to us. First, this morning it was announced that Netflix bought Miller World uh, outright. So Mark Miller, Miller World being uh, the Mark Miller-based creative house that launched uh, Kick-Ass and Kingsman. Uh, One of my favorite books last year, Huck. Uh, Starlight. uh, What else? MPH. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things that that have come out of that. Uh, uh, Jupiter's Legacy. Yeah. Uh, so, so many. Uh, so Netflix has bought it outright. So Mark Miller now never has to worry about where his next paycheck is coming from. He has got uh, a major company behind him bankrolling his comics and his desire to uh, turn them into, which has always been nakedly one of the things about Metal World, that they were meant to be adapted into film or television, which I think is still what's going to happen for Huck. So Kingsman and Kick-Ass are not included in the deal because they're still tied up with other, with other production companies and other studios, but everything else now uh, goes to, uh, goes to Netflix, which interestingly, because he called out King Kick-Ass and Kingsman, it's possible we could get an actual more accurate take on wanted because that yeah. was another world. Yeah. Um, not that I but, necessarily want one, but um, but it's open for that. I think the Jupiter's the Jupiter's legacy, Jupiter Circle stuff would be interesting. Um, Empress is still a possibility too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, have you read Reborn? Reborn's another. Reborn? Yeah, it's it's another it's another one of those kind of a mix of sci-fi and fantasy questing things. I think I read one issue. I have not. I got I got to there's only been two or three, so I, I know I saw it. I don't yeah. know that I got too deep into it. The other, uh, to me, exciting news, and it is still just sort of like a okay, it's not real, but uh, there was a Star Trek convention in Las Vegas this weekend, and someone asked Carl Urban if he would be willing to uh, be in Judge Dread Mega City One, the TV series that was announced a couple months ago, and he confirmed that he is in discussions with them, and he said if they write the material, this is a direct quote. If they write the material and give Dread something to do and give them a function, I will be there. 
all they got to do is go back to one of the books. Right, know? which they're all people that, lo- that love it. So that's true. I, I think the point is Carl Urban gets what, ju- what Judge Dredd is about, and all he, all he wants is, like, make it worth my time to show up. Yeah. And if anybody has seen Dredd, you know, it was it, that film, and if you haven't seen that and you like Judge Dredd, I don't know why you haven't seen that. <laughs> you know, it's such a it is such a great adaptation. And Carl Urban is uh, is an actor who totally gets what the character is, and did not do the movie star thing on it. He really just played the character in a way that uh, Sylvester Stallone, two decades earlier, had not really done. Uh, so, anyway, uh, I'm excited that that news just came in today, and uh, just wanted to get it out there. So let us turn to our interviews tonight. Um, As I said, Batman and Harley Quinn, uh, an animated film uh, which will be in theaters Monday the 14th of August, and uh, that comes out on digital, uh, so I guess video on demand, really, on August 15th. And video demand, and I guess people are, see, and this is one of those things, I don't do it, but people are do buy these things and download and keep them on hard drives or in clouds. Do you do that? Do you own films like Comcast has offered that Xfinity? I don't know. I, I own I own films through Disney, and um, uh, but you bought the Blu-rays first, right? I mean, and then and then you have a digital copy. That's yes. different. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There there are a couple of movies actually. Some of the stuff that I've done digitally only has been like uh, British theater, like the uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm blanking on the, on the actor who played Doctor Who against. Uh, Against Doctor Donna, they were both in a uh, David Tennant. David Tennant, uh, much to do about nothing. And and um, yeah, and, uh, so I have much to do about nothing. Uh, and one other, uh, oh, Candide on a British. Yeah, but I don't think they offer those on DVD. I don't think they offer them on solid media. Not that's, in the U.S. No, yeah. So uh, anyway, I mean, that's that's just a, it's an area that I don't go into, but. But there, but it is being offered for sale first uh, that way, uh, and then in two weeks. Uh, so if that's the fifteenth, twenty second, twenty ninth. So uh, August twenty ninth, DVD and Blu Ray will have Batman and Harley Quinn, which is Batman having to team up with Harley Quinn to take on Poison Ivy and Jason Woodrue, aka the Floronic Man, because they're going to wipe out most of humanity in a bid to save the Green. Um, I don't know if Swamp Thing is going to be involved. When you said the green, I was going, what about Swamp Thing? Yeah, yeah, uh, but it is going to be, um, uh, it is in the style of of Bruce Timm, who, of course, had worked with Paul Dini on uh, Batman the Animated Series, The Adventures of Batman and Robin, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, etc., and has been kind of the executive producer of this whole, I guess, a little over 10 years of doing these direct-to-video film. So uh, at Comic-Con, I want to thank uh, Gary Murano, uh for uh, giving us the opportunity to join the roundtables. And so I thought I'd share this week uh, the interviews uh, that we got out of that. And uh, it's some conversation for me, some conversation from other reporters from other places. Uh, we all agreed, yes, okay, we're all using this software game. So uh, they know. And uh, I thank everybody who, who was at the table for asking some questions I wanted to ask and some questions I never would have thought of, including, most importantly, a question about Thrilling Adventure Hour. So let's begin <laughs> with uh, <laughs> because Patrick Brewster 
uh, is there. So that's good news there. Uh, but let's instead first begin with Bruce Tim, uh, the executive producer uh, and the creator of Harley Quinn, co-creator of Harley Quinn with Paul Dini. Uh, so this is kind of like old home week, and uh, it's one of the friendliest conversations I have ever been a uh, part of with Bruce Tim. So here we go. Yeah, yeah. He was saying wonderful things about you. Oh, he was. So welcome to our table. Thank you. So when they nice told to be here. you 10 years ago to do Superman Doomsday, did you think 10 years later you'd have done 30 of these movies? No. <laughs> Honestly, no. I had no idea. I mean, I you know, the idea was that we were, that was the plan to create a, a successful line of movies, but I had no idea that we'd still be doing them and that we would do 30 of them. It's like, wow. It's crazy. Is there a weight to that that you have to deal with, both in terms of making sure that everyone who's writing with you knows the backstory and like making sure there's consistency there? How do you deal with that? Um, well, it depends. Each it, there's it's tricky. It's complicated because there's the, the, the movies that are more one-off, like this one, uh, or like Superman Doomsday, uh, and then there's a whole other series, like a series within a series that James Tucker has been doing that are all in the same continuity. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's where I'm at. Was it fun to kind of go back to Harley, especially, you know, with other versions of her, like, kind of take over this Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally fine with all the other different versions of Harley. I, it, it, if I'm honest with myself, her popularity really started to explode because of, like, the video games. Um, so that's all good. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I like other versions of them, of her, her character better than others. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. It's all fair. And um, I myself have taken pre-existing DC Comics characters and put my own spin on it. So it's all, it's all fair. Um, but at the same time, you know, I have a big fondness for the original version of Harley that, 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 that Paul and I co-created way back when. So it was kind of fun to certainly bring her back. Well, it's weird because I, I had been aware that she was becoming gradually more and more popular, especially when I'd come to conventions. And as you guys all know, it's like you can't walk five feet on the floor without running in past, you know, a zillion Harleys. But um, I do Harley. All oh, the time. do you? Awesome. Original flavor is my favorite. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you, darling. Um, I'll pay you five dollars later. All right. uh, but. Um, you know, it, I, I kind of hadn't really realized how quite how popular she was until it was about four or five years ago. I was doing a, an interview with somebody, a journalist, who mentioned that she had become like one of the top four superhero characters in the world. And I went, "What?" He said, oh, he said, "They said, oh yeah, they consider her. She's like, she's more important to the company now than like Green Lantern or Flash." And I'm like, "How is that even possible?" It's like, when did that happen? You know? But um, so it kind of snuck up on me. But it's 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 great, you know. So, thank you. I mean, there's a whole thing going on with the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. It's really taking root because I think that just drives it even further. It was always there, but now that really drives it further. So I think people are drawing the Harley darker side. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, she's a little outside of the paradigm of... of I mean, I know, I know a lot of... Some people do think that she's kind of like an empowering, you know, 
feminine superhero or super super character, but she's not. She's weird because she's not exactly a role model. You know, depending upon which version of her you, you know you want to talk about. I mean, she's either a criminal or she's in an abusive relationship with a Joker. You know, uh, so there, there's yeah, she doesn't fit the normal pattern, but maybe in in a way, I think that's kind of what makes her unique and and uh, appealing in a weird kind of way is that she is really unlike any other character in comics. So. Oh my god! Uh, that that oh my god was not in reaction to the question. That was to to Kevin Michael Richardson going nuts. Um, I, I thought Melissa was awesome. Uh, she um, she's just she, she did everything we needed her to do. I mean, every time we stunt cast one of these parts, it's always a little bit of a gamble. Anytime we we hire somebody that we've never worked with before, you never really know if it's going to work or not. But she nailed it you know hit hit it right out of the park she's she's funny she's cute she's vulnerable when she needs to be um and she's in person she's just an absolute delight to be around so it couldn't have been more pleasant experience working with her and i i would totally bring her back sure i'm always a fan of the harley and poison ivy and catwoman when they all kind of mm. get together and mm-hmm. sirens. but in this film it seems like they're on opposite sides and how did they how, how does that come into play well, it's just, it's it's really all down to plot. It's just that we had to have a plot. We needed to have a villain. I thought, well, who would be a good villain? And then I thought of Poison Ivy and global warming, and it all kind of got mixed up in my head. And I thought, okay, so Poison Ivy could be the bad guy. And so Batman, and she's out, she's out plotting some kind of plot. And Batman has to get previous accomplices to help him out to find her, because he can't find her. And then, of course, he has to go to Harley Quinn. It's not his first choice, but... Um, so... Um, so yeah, so they're they're at opposite sides of this issue. Um, Poison Ivy, I, I'm not going to spoil it, but her part of her plot um, involves um, radically changing um, the face of the planet, <laughs> which Harley would not end up on the right side of. So uh, so yeah, so they're uh, kind of at different, kind of at odds throughout. But um, it's interesting. Does their past relationship come into it at all? Oh, for sure. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. What made you decide to throw uh, Floronic Man into the mix? The Floronic Man, what's interesting is that um, we have done so many series and movies with these characters that uh, we've pretty much used everybody that, you know, is is either top tier or interesting. And uh, the Floronic Man is a character that I... I I never really even heard of the character until the uh, the famous Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing, and that was my first exposure to him. And I really liked that run a lot. Um, so I thought, oh, Floronic Man, Poison Ivy. If they teamed up, that would not be good. So um, so they, that that's really the basis of it. Um, and there actually are some some kind of um, Alan Moore Easter eggs that kind of relate to that. So in the story, you mentioned like. Better. Ten years, you've done so many different things with the characters. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, the big, the white whale for DC Animation was Judas Contract. I remember it being announced here, mm-hmm. and you finally got that done. So which, and you've done Killing Joke, so which iconic story is left for you that you would love to do? It's a really good question. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it. It's a, re- it's a really good question well, with, a, with a crappy answer. <laughs> is, there, is there a character that hasn't been the focus, maybe on the side of the traditional movie. It hasn't been the focus of a movie that we'd love to see up there on the big screen. That's a good question. Um, Not just Batman, but any Well, uh, certainly. Uh, I mean, yeah, if I had my own magic wand and my own unlimited budget, 
Certainly, I would do you know a Black Hawk movie set in World War II. You know, but I, I would have a really difficult time trying to get into the home video people to fork over the money to make a Black Hawk movie. Um, so maybe you know that's a great idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that. If it does really really well, I'm gonna say it's it's Dunkirk with superheroes. Thank me in two years. Oh, it's always fun to work with Paget. She's um. She's great. I mean, the first time we worked with her uh, was on, uh, I think, Dark Knight Returns. She played Lana Lang, um, and I was just really impressed with her. Uh, um, her, her, both her comedic chops and her serious chops. Um, she's great. Um, and again, she's like Melissa. She's a, she's just a delightful person to be around. And um, so uh, when this came up, um, you know, she was literally the first person I thought of to play Poison Ivy, and. Uh, and she she was enthusiastic and, and came in to play with us. So um, yeah, she's great. She's um, like I said, whether, whether she's doing straight up comedy or or, or, or uh, serious dramatic stuff, she's she's top notch. So and you've worked with Kevin lots and lots of lots times. and lots and lots of was times. Was there any difference in this film or, or work there that you thought was interesting? No, it's 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 it's. I hate to say it. It's like putting on an old shoe. You know, it's like. <laughs> We, we're, we're so used to each other's, you know, methods of approach and stuff. It's like I didn't have to sit down and go, "Okay, now this movie, this is your backstory, and this is your motivation." It's just like, "Okay, I got it." You know. <laughs> so. um, in the, the thirty movies that you've done, some of you haven't been involved in, but, right? Is there like one of them that you would maybe have done differently looking back on it? Yes, I, I would have to say probably. Um, if I had it all to do it over again, I would do New Frontier differently. Only in that I think we tried to we tried to cram too much story into one movie. It really needed a full a full extra movie to, to really do that story justice, and I kind of wish we had had, had a chance to do that. But that's the only one. It's a good movie, but I think it could have been better if we'd had more more room to spread out. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. Thank you, Bruce. So that was a good conversation. Uh, next up, we'd like to offer someone I had not met before. I, I've, I've met almost everybody else that, that was at, at this table, but, but for some reason in all the years that I've been going, I'd never actually sat down with Lauren Lester, who uh, voiced Robin, Dick Grayson, on the original Batman the Animated Series, and uh, got the, has gotten the nice, the nice opportunity to play a character actually growing up and becoming something more. Um, he was... It, young teen then a teen and now he's become Nightwing in this so here it is uh, Lauren Lester wonderful it's been my dream to uh, reprise this role and uh, it was really a surprise a wonderful surprise when they called up and said uh, Nightwing is coming back so I was very pleased and Kevin and I we worked together so well it was we just picked up right where we left off that's cool well since you are Yes. Uh, well, I, one thing I really loved about this script is very funny. A lot of comedy in the in the. Have you have you all seen it? No. no. Uh, yeah. uh, a lot of comedy, and uh, that's always been my thing. That that was my favorite thing to do in in theater and in TV and in film. So I was really happy that I got to do that this time. What's the state of the relationship between Nightwing and Batman in this movie specifically? Well, what's great is we're over all of our tension. It's over. You know, we, we had that whole thing, you know, where I slugged him and I knocked him down and all that. 
we're past that, and now we're we're partners. You know, we work together. So. How about between you and Kevin? Same thing. <laughs> exactly the same thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had to. I had to. Was it when he was doing like I am Batman? You were like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Bam. So is. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, is the partnership, um, you know, an equal one in this in this particular? Yes. Film? Yeah. Okay. Very much so. But they also need the help of a villain to catch a villain. And that's the intriguing part of the plot. Do you feel like there's some tension going on there that's obviously yeah. not with you two, but the yeah, whole Yeah, n- not, the only tension between us is uh, I think I trust the villain more than he does, mm-hmm. and he's really skeptical. So there's that little bit of that tension, but not very much. And also, he still insists on being a, kind of a father figure. So there's a couple moments in there where he kind of puts me in my place. I'm like, all right. But it's not nothing bad. Robin, obviously, you voiced and now Nightwing. Any preference, or is it kind of nice to do the progression? Uh, I love doing the progression. I love both characters. I do have a, a, a real, real strong feeling about Nightwing. Nightwing is probably my favorite voiceover role ever. So, yeah, even though I've done both, both, both versions of Dick Grayson, I prefer the Nightwing one. So, why is it that that's your favorite voiceover role that you've done? Well, uh, he becomes uh, uh, his own hero. He starts off as a sidekick, and, you know, he's always asking, what are we going to do, Batman? You know, and then Batman solves it. And when he becomes Nightwing, he says, I know what we're going to do, Batman. You know, and that's some tension because Batman doesn't agree with him. But I like the fact that uh, I got to play, he's a real superhero, and I got to play that. Played Robin over a few different continuities. Did they ever tell you to play it differently based on the fact that it's not the same continuity storyline from the TV show? Are you just performing? It, it's movie? different when I play Nightwing. Is different from when I play Robin, uh, particularly in the voice. My voice is higher pitched, younger sounding as Robin. Nightwing, it's lower. It's closer to what Kevin is doing because in the continuity, Nightwing becomes Batman. So I thought it would be interesting if my voice sounded more like Kevin's voice as I became Nightwing. Did they just perform the character differently if you're doing a movie that's not tied to the TV show? Well, the the script is really what uh, dictated all of that. So the script made it very, very clear that he wasn't, you know, a, a hothead in the Nightwing version, that he was very much the cool, cool, settled, you know, guy. Uh, yeah, it was the humor. There was a lot. I, I got I got to do the humor in the TV show also, but there was a lot more humor. So, and there's a romance. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so that's you know he's really evolving as a as a full three dimensional person. You know, guy grown up. He's past being a high school student and all that, and he's having a romance. Would you like to play like whatever the next step may be? Are you pushing for a Nightwing uh, uh, solo? We don't get to push for anything. Uh, Actors are the last people to know. So uh, <laughs> whatever's happening behind the scenes, I'm happy to do it. And I think when this movie's a uh, big success, which I, I believe it will be, I think that they will hopefully do more. Because they just, they just actually asked in another inter- in- interview, they asked Bruce, they said, uh, would you like to do more? And he said, yeah. And he's the one who calls the shots, so... 
What did you think of Melissa doing Harley as compared to some of the other actresses who have done the voicing and stuff you've done? Uh, she was terrific. Boy, she was just great. She fell right into it, and uh, I thought she brought a tremendous amount to the role. Who was, the, who was your voice director? Uh, it was Wes Gleason this time. How was that? I mean, yeah. what Andrea was this guy was kind of tragic. Well, no, you know, Wes is a huge fan of the show, so he was very true to what the show was, and it was very easy working with him. What was it like working with Bruce again after all those years? Oh, it was great. Uh, we really, all of us uh, uh, came together a year ago. It wasn't Bruce, it was, um, it was Paul Dini in that case. It was Paul, uh, myself, and Kevin. And we did a, um, a Viewmaster. We did an episode of the show for Viewmaster. Uh, and for the, uh, the VR. The VR, yeah. Awesome. yeah. Awesome. And uh, there we just... It was like we picked up right away from all those years ago, and it was the same thing with Bruce and with this with this film. So, of course, you said it's got drama, but a little more humor in it. Yes, I've heard behind the scenes with voice acting can be a lot of fun. And did you have any fun experiences and good stories about that? Well, we always have a lot of fun, and uh, we we really love to crack each other up. So that's one of the goals. I mean, if I can crack Kevin Conroy up, I have had, I've made a very good day for myself. And I think he feels the same way. Did you get to throw in your own ad-libs or anything? No, we don't get to do that. We, you know, it's, it's very carefully, you know, storyboarded, and they would like they would like it to be exact. And honestly, it's so well-written, didn't need to. I mean, I've done so many projects where, you know, you get a line, you say, oh, my God, do I really have to say that? Or my character would never say that. It's never happened in the Batman series, not even once. And you've got a new um, voice actress playing Harley Quinn. Yes. So how was it working with a you know, cast you've done stuff with before and then getting a new one in there to do this character? Well, you know, over the years, some of the people have changed. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I don't know if people know this, but Mark Hamill wasn't the original Joker. Right. You know, and uh, um, Ephraim Zimbalist was not the original uh, Alfred. So the end of... Uh, that girl has changed at least twice that I can think of. So, it, you know, we're always able to uh, adapt to that. And, and as long as as long as the, the, the actors are as really as generous as the kind of people they find, it's always kind of easy. Paget is great in this. She's wonderful. You know, she, and I don't know how many how many uh, poison ivies there've been, but she's terrific. How does this rank as far as your favorites? Last question. Um, well, that's really hard because I, I I had so many great stories in the in the old show, like the, the episode "Old Wounds" or "Robin's Reckoning." I mean, I really uh, this would be right up there with that. So I couldn't say it's my favorite, but it's just as much a favorite as, as any of those. Thank you. Thanks. And then. Uh... Kevin Michael Richardson is a giant in the voiceover industry uh, who played the Joker on The Batman, the animated series where the Joker was in the uh, straitjacket. A kind of controversial take, but one that Mark Hamill embraced, uh, so we should too. Uh, but in this, uh, in this, he's playing Jason Woodrue, and I think the funniest thing about this is everybody seems to treat... I guess this is how you know you're a true fanboy, is everybody that was involved in this was treating Jason Woodrue as this really obscure character. And I was going, oh, no, 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 the Floronic Man. It's okay. Uh, yeah, he's a cool character. <laughs> it's like um, there were the only one other person at the table who knew who that was. So uh, 
first time I've ever been able to talk with Kevin Michael Richardson as well. I think I've met him once before, but I've never interviewed him for Fanboy Planet. So, Kevin Michael Richardson. Kevin Michael Richardson sitting down with him. Oh my God! Almighty! Yes, yes, yes! Oh my God! Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was back in October. Yes, in October, and here you are playing another villain. So, <laughs> so how's it been working on this project as a different kind of villain? <laughs> oh, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, I never heard of this guy before, the Pharaonic Man. Yeah, I've ne- <laughs> never heard of him, you know, so. Right. Oh, really? Has he, has, he, has he been in the universe for a while? I had no idea. Uh, since 62. Yeah. Oh, that's right, that's Off right. Off and on, though, wasn't like a never been big. Just right, okay, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. so. You know, I had no idea, you know, they wanted me to play this guy, but I, what I love is that he wasn't your typical, like, uh, say, uh, you know, big green, you know, monster creature type of guy. And, you know, you know, the directors and producers want this, you know, particular sound usually with guys like that. This guy's very intelligent, you know, and he's very well-spoken and eloquent. And uh, that's what I thought made him even more deadly. You know, the fact that he's, you know, strong and he can transform and, and he's just killing, you know, guys left and right in this thing. Uh, I, I felt that made him more deadly. And I love that approach, too, because it just gives the character a little something different. You know, a different approach to, you know, your typical giant monster. You know, we're bad guys, you know. You know, he's very intelligent and very, you know, you know, straightforward and, you know... I think easy on the ears. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like that informed your choice of voice for him. Did you try them out with the casting director or the or the voice director? I, I believe so. I don't remember what else I threw at him, but they, they seemed to want something closer, you know, to my natural, you know, sound. So, you know, not saying that I'm the intelligent, well-spoken guy, but... <laughs> Why not? You know, no, <laughs> but that's how, it, it, you know, the end result turned out to be good. You know, they seemed to be happy with it, so... Always an Ivy's a very intelligent character as well. Yes. So what was it like playing off of that? Oh, you know, unfortunately, we never got to record with each other. You know, I recorded alone. And meeting Padgett, who is just phenomenal talent, uh, and watching the DVD, watching the movie, uh, I thought it came out really nice. I thought it, I thought it you know, you know, both they're both green based. Right. You know, they're yeah, both right. you know they're both into plants. So uh, I'm wondering about what the real alternative is. You know, why they want to wipe out humanity? Do they want to grow a bunch of Kush? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe not. No, maybe not. Yeah, you know. I'm kind of and then, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I apologize, DC. Um, <clears throat> you know, but you know, hey, hey, hey to each his own. Was there, was there a voice that before you stepped into the booth that you had in mind for him before you started recording? Uh, no, not, actually, no, because uh, they showed a picture of me when I got to the recording, a picture of the character when I got there. So, I, uh, of course, you need to see that. Good, good question, because what pops in your head is what I was describing before, the gruff, growling type of creature. And, you know, but when, when you see the dialogue, you realize this is not really a gruff kind of sounding guy, you know, so that that basically, you know, it made sense from what they wanted and what I read, you know, as, uh, as far as how he came out. You know. So you said you didn't get to record with, uh, record with Padgett. Did you get to record with some of the other folks, or was it all... I, I remember being alone okay. when I recorded, at, at least for the moment, that's all I remember. Uh, I didn't have the pleasure of working with Kevin or Lauren, and I had no idea Lauren was going to be it either, but uh, I was just happy Kevin played, uh, you know, which he always does, a stellar Batman, you know. Yeah. What do you pull from the challenge of having to be by yourself 
<clears throat> the challenge is that there's no one else to feed off you. You know, sometimes you might be lucky when you have the uh, the director read the lines with you. That helps, you know. But uh, when you're alone, you just have to make, you know, do your homework and read the scene and know what's coming up. Instead of some people that go, uh, yada, 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 BS, BS, my line, my line, you know. So it really does help when the director actually reads with you in between the lines, you know. But And, and it's when you have the entire cast there, it's magic because you feed off the energy, you get into your character, and you know how to deliver your line because you heard the previous line from the other actor, you know, so that helps out. That makes sense? Yeah. How is it being a part of such a really iconic franchise? Like, do you have any, have you had any experiences with people talking to you about that and, you know, being excited that you're going to be part of it and everything? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Quite a bit. And that makes me happy, you know. That makes me happy. Being in the game and still being, you know, wanted to be heard, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just you know, a really nice feeling, you know. Uh, and to be part of this universe, work with Bruce Tim, who's actually very talented. Uh, it takes a team, you know. It takes an entire team: storyboard artists, animators, you know, uh, not just the actors. So it just feels good to be part of it. You know, working with him on Green Lantern as Kilowog, or you know, the uh, mutant gang leader in um, <coughs> Dark Batman. Yes, Dark Knight stuff like that. So you know, it's great. It's cool. What was it like because of the tone of this movie? It was a little lighter than some of the other. Yeah, they, they had more of a comical approach to it, which I liked, and I thought it was good. And the, the intro was cool. It has a 60s uh, jazz kind of like sax thing going on. Almost in tribute to the, you know, the intro uh, to the 60s Batman, a little bit of animation, but a little more quirkier and funnier, So which is, which is good. It's lighthearted, but it gets intense at the same time, which I think is great. Is there, is, there, is there a particular character you haven't played yet you're looking at? <clears throat> maybe you, you, you want to play? Wow. Hmm. That's a good... Hmm. I haven't really thought about it, but there are characters I miss playing. I, I miss playing the Joker. I know Mark Hamill, you know, salami, salami, salami. <laughs> he's, my, he's, he's my friend. He's a good buddy. And uh, he was fantastic in the role. And that was the hardest thing for me to do was to follow those footsteps. Um, but I really miss playing that guy. And Cleveland Jr. And, and uh, Captain Gantu from Lilo and Stitch. I miss those guys a lot. Well, when you get to play a character like Thoronic Man that has almost no history that anybody even knows <clears> about <throat> in, the, in the mainstream, does it make you feel like, all right, I can really put my stamp on this character? Yeah, yeah. It, it feels, I felt like I have. And if he was asked to, if I was asked to return to play him, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I really love playing him. He was good. I liked playing him. Is there any type of character that, that nobody's tapped into yet that you can do, you know, like a, an aspect of your personality that you haven't been tapped yet? Good question. I don't know. There must be something there. I have no idea. But um, there are certain directors that know how to pull that kind of stuff out of me. And that would be <clears throat> Charlie Adler. Ginny McSwain. I'm Andrea Romano. Ginny McSwain and Charlie Adler have this really strange way of pulling stuff out of me that I didn't know was there as far as characters. Like, for instance, with Ginny, I did a show called uh, Randy Cunningham, ninth, uh, ninth Grade Ninja, I believe that's what it was. Is that what it was? Ninth Grade Ninja. And I played the Viceroy. 
and he was an assistant to John DiMaggio's uh, character, who was a boss. And he came out talking a little bit something like this. And I had no idea. I was like, where the heck did this guy come from? <laughs> so, you know, and that was Jenny. She goes, she goes, Kevin, Kevin, honey, give him a little sass. Give him a little sass. Give him a little of that, I don't know, just, and, and there's some, I don't know how she does it, but she pulls it out of me. And that's how I came up with that character. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was like, okay, you know, so... Yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned also Charlie Adler, who of course is a voice actor yes. as well as director, and I've heard he's a really crazy behind oh, the Oh, Charlie the is a pistol. He's a pistol. You don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. Yeah, right? crazy in a good way, and brilliant as a director. Not just an actor, brilliant director. Brilliant. Do you have any good stories about that? About Charlie? Yeah. Um, geez Louise. Uh... Not that I could say out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's great. Great guy. Very talented. What was your impression of Melissa, who was kind of new to the voice acting thing? I didn't have the, I didn't have the pleasure to meet her. You know, oh, Just from her performance in the song, the movie. With playing Harley? Yeah. I, I think it's great. It's really, really, really good. I think you've talked to him enough. All righty, okay. It was okay. a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And then to give credit to uh, the writer's room, uh, in particular the screenwriter here, James Krieg, who is also uh, one of the main writers on Justice League Action, was kind of brought in to make this a little funnier, uh, because I think most of the recent projects for, for the DC Direct have been more serious and a little more violent, and there's seriousness and violence and, and, and high stakes for this. But also, it wanted to be a little more lighthearted because of its Batman and Harley Quinn. It's kind of oil and water. And so, James Krieg talked about his process with us. Well, we're glad to have you at our table. I'm glad to be at this table. So, this is a little bit of a different one because we've got a major villain that they're teaming up with. So, what was it like? Oh, I thought you were saying this table was different. I thought you were saying that, like, I thought you were going to say because we have an agenda. One of us is a major (laughs) villain. We won't tell you which one. Someone here is going to kill you. (laughs) No, no, no. It's not that bad. That is like that's that's a BTS episode where they're playing poker and one of them yes. is Batman. That's a great episode. Yeah. See, I've seen the show. Oh, that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm familiar with the property. But I did mean the actual movie. It's a little different take because you've got a major villain and the hero teaming up. And so, what was it like writing on that? Well, I think the even a bigger difference than having a, a hero villain team up. Is the is the tone of the movie that that although the, you've seen the des- character designs before and they they feel very you know old school Batman the animated series uh, uh, some comedy has crept into this world and and what you know there's no better odd couple than Batman who's the straightest of straight men and Harley who is the wildest of wild cards I just made that up what do you think yeah. <laughs> no I should I should I should, they should put that on the on the box <laughs> uh, so anyway that it's a lot of fun I think you'll like it when you guys were casting for this, I think that Lauren mentioned that you were working with Wes again and casting this. Um, what, what was the process? What was that process like? Obviously, you've got a new Harley, you've got some other new players in this. Uh, what did you think of the casting process? I personally, as the as the writer, I wasn't very involved in the casting. I mostly heard about it, um, and and ev- everyone who came in seemed like, yes, that's a good call. That's a good call. I don't really think about that. When, when I'm helping Bruce with the script, I don't think so much about the actors, but as the character's voice. And all of the actors really um, really played to the strengths of, of 
uh, Poison Ivy and, and Harlequin and, and Floronic Band, um, uh, and then brought something else along with it. The actor always pluses what you do so that it's, it's all, always a pleasant surprise. I always want to take credit for it, but of course, it's really yeah. the actor. <laughs> do you sometimes take things that they do like kind of spontaneously and put it into the script? Yes, always. Uh, it, you'd be surprised how even little tweaks that they do can change the meaning and, and bring a whole another level of comedy to it. We talk about hearing the character voices. So, is there one character voice you love love writing for? In this. Well, it's wonderful to write Harley. I mean, it's it's like freeing your id. You know, if 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 Batman is your super ego, then you know, and that you can write you now because you, in your dreams you're so capable. You know, we're all James Bond and we're all thinking, you know, twelve steps ahead. But in fact, most of us are just crazy lunatics who don't really want to obey the rules. And and Harley allows us to do that, and and she's she's our our. Impulses unleashed. They're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde in spandex. Put that on the box. Put that on the box. <laughs> 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 I'm just up this box really quick. Yeah. yeah. No, need, somebody we, gets we paid to write boxes. that copy. We need a deluxe set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That'll be on the DVD actually. <laughs> yes, there we go. Is there a character in the Batman universe that you wish you could have put in or you still like to tackle? You know, I'm really blessed right now. Uh, I We've been doing this uh, Justice League action show uh, for Cartoon Network and and we've been pulling out the, like the most obscure people you can imagine it's almost like a it's 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 like a, a spitting contest with with uh, some of the, the writers and creators like to pull out I've never heard of this guy you know and it's like it, and there's a moment like of playing poker where you go is that guy real but I felt the same about Floronic Man. I don't know how many of you knew Floronic Man before. We were talking. We were about talking. About it right did you look it up? Did you see? Was because that was no, the first I, thing I no, did. Because I, I wanted. I wanted. I wanted to pretend when I talked to Bruce that. Oh yeah, of course I knew Floronic Man. I was proud of myself on that. Yeah, I, I dropped the ball on it. You know, I did not know. Well, who did you speak in the Justice League action? That was that was your wild card. Oh, oh my gosh, too many. Some of them almost came in, like, um, uh, there's an episode called Repulse, where, where Lex Luthor is dressed in a suit that Repulse. That, that, he was originally, that came from a cover of uh, uh, Batman and Zebra Man, he, he gets, because this is, and, and, uh, and, because I love that dumb suit. I was like, but well, how dumb can we get? Can we go Zebra Man? Can we go full Zebra Man? And we wrote the outline, and we went forward with it, and then... And then uh, uh, Butch Lukic, who's a brilliant uh, producer, said, It'll, and I'll do the impersonation, it won't show up in press, but he says, it would be really hard to animate the suit. And so, so we, and then if you couldn't do, if you couldn't be Zebra Man, then we had to throw that away, and then he just became another one. But that was, we tried to go pretty, do some deep, deep dives. <laughs> No, I really wrote it. What was it like finding out that they would be doing stuff? Anytime you find out that uh, Kevin Michael Richardson is going to read your words, you go, "Whew!" You know. Oh my gosh! Well, I did know Kevin. I knew Kevin would do it, and and Bruce had told me that you know it's the original Robin. So that that level of security was there, and I knew they would sound they would sound right. You know, and every. I'll tell you, you know, in all humility, because I'm not responsible for it, but the voice work on Warner Brothers animation 
is always good. I, I doubt you ever see one and go, oh my gosh, did they just get some guy off the street to do that? Because yikes. It's always rock solid, so I never have any fear that it's not going to be right. How did you and Bruce uh, collaborate? No, I have an office on the uh, on the Warner Brothers ranch, and he's just down the hall from me. And I believe that may be why he chose me. <laughs> you were closest. Yeah. <laughs> he saw your name on the door and went, that guy. Oh, yeah, I don't hate him. your thought was on Melissa I wasn't sure at first. I felt a little bit like, oh, are we dipping into celebrity land just to dip into celebrity land? You know, because they, they, the, the home video loves it when you do that because it's promotable. And then, and I did go to the booth to see her record, and, and it took about, I'd say, a second before I went, oh, yeah, oh, she's perfect. She did it, she does, she did an amazing job, and she clearly studied the character, and, you know, it really comes from a, a genuine place with her. I thought she was delightful. take out of this screenplay that you wanted to have in there like anything that you were like it's going to have to be on the cutting room floor but this would have been great that you could tell because you can't tell us all about the movie but is there anything no I wish I had I mean I, I there there were jokes that got lost but it was really just dialogue every every event of the movie ha, it has been there since uh, really since before I was on, on board uh, the actual facts and the actual scenes stayed the same from the beginning uh, I may have added a few jokes that, that get cut and as a lot of writers will tell you, you it's like you don't get paid for writing the script you get paid for the agony of having your jokes cut out of the script you know but I don't but none of them were so painful that uh, I remember them you know 18 months later to tell you Is there a challenge in writing a more humorous Batman script or was your experience on Justice League action helpful in being able to do that? Um for me, it is not more challenging to write a humorous Batman because I, 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 I like jokes, and, and I, my mind automatically goes to jokes. It's, in fact, it's harder for me. I don't want to. I don't want to unemploy myself from doing serious work because. <laughs> but but I did a movie called uh, the Flashpoint Paradox, which is almost which joke. Is also free. Good. It's thank you, but it's almost joke free. You know, there's not a lot of jokes in this thing. Um, but. Uh, so yes, I, you know, Justice League action helped me think about. I knew what Kevin could do comedically, which he, by the way, loves to do and is super funny. Um, but I would be hesitant. I would have just jumped into this on my own because it's Bruce's universe. All right, just got tapped on the shoulder. Um, there has to be hilarious little blips you can use in there. Thank you. Thank you. Nice meeting you all. And this one, I kind of wish you'd been in the room because I know how much you adore uh, this actress. Yes. Uh, and I called out at the end of the of the roundtable here that I first interviewed Paget Brewster in 2000 before Fanboy Planet even started, and uh, it's one of those I love I love seeing uh, actors and actresses creators um, that I met way back when uh, have come back around and like they built such an incredible body of work when I was thinking back then they were really cool I hope this really works well for them you know <laughs> and then it does and so Paget Brewster who aside from being on uh, Criminal Minds I believe is the series like I don't watch that uh, but she was on the last season of Community um, and of course we both adore her for um, for Thrilling Adventure Hour for her role as uh, 
Sadie Doyle uh, in the serial Beyond Belief. It's not really a serial, right? But the but the comedy segment of, of Beyond Belief. And so we get to begin this interview with her. Uh, somebody else asked about Running Adventure Hour, and she had, I hope, at least a nice tease of some really cool news and just a great conversation. Does she do so, the voice? She does. Oh, yay. Uh, it was funny watching her try to get into character uh, to do Sadie. So it's there. A little, I, treat, I for, this, a little treat for Rick. This is just for Rick. I imagine uh, she pulls a martini glass out of her purse, right? There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Paget Brewster. Sorry. I've been tasked to tell you my boyfriend is the hugest fan of you on Philly Adventure Hour. So, oh, thank you. Thank you. I told you he cannot fall. Tell him I said thank you very much. I will show him. I, I hope we, hey, buddy, I hope we will have a new one for you. Can you say Tom? Tom, I would love it. Can you say Tom? Uh, yeah, oh, wait, I should do Sadie. Oh, yeah. Tom, I'd Now I said, wait. Now I'm thinking Poison Ivy. Tom, I, I, I desperately hope we'll have a new thrilling adventure hour for you soon. Thank you so much. Sure, yeah. So it's a pleasure having you here about Batman and Harley Quinn as well. Yes. And playing Poison Ivy is an iconic role. Can you tell us a little bit about that in this movie? Yeah, uh, this, I'm sure you've heard the summary of this film. You now know what this is. So, what I have to say about it is, uh, I got a phone call saying, would you play Poison Ivy? Uh, Bruce Tim, and I said yes. So then I started getting scared. Am I going to do a good job? Am I? Are they sure they wanted to offer it to me? Um, start research, read everything. It's a it's a complicated character. It's a complicated backstory. Um, but the really interesting thing is this relationship between Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, loving each other and being friends, and end up having to fight each other. Um, for what could be the destruction of the human race. So I just loved that they both believe what they believe and have to fight for what they think is right, even though that's fighting against someone they love. Did you, how much did you explore the, um, the character after you got the role? In, in the story much, did you do any exploration of the character looking at the, the backstory? Uh, yeah, the it's a lot. You know what? I did not look at other performances because I knew I knew I would hear or see someone way better than me, and I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think I'm good. I think I work hard, but you know, there are so many, uh, especially voice actresses that have played. Uh, same thing with Melissa. I'm sure she tried not to listen to other Harley Quinns because it's. It's scary. You don't want to steal from them. You don't want to go opposite them. And you don't want to get so intimidated that you show up and you're just a pile of jello. So it wasn't a study of the performance of other people. Um, I studied her backstory and her relationships. Um, and then I, I bought uh, on eBay the um, uh, issue 181, which was June of 1966, where she was introduced into the Batman uh, Pantheon and and uh, and it, I got it for cheap because the, the little girl who owned it wrote her name on the front and uh, it, you know it smells like an attic but that like it felt great like to, to see her for the first time um, how she was introduced and, and then I, I think it's really exciting that because Bruce Tim and Paul Dini created Harley Quinn they then I don't remember when went back and created her origin story which was uh, that 
uh, Poison Ivy rescued Harley Quinn from an earthquake, took care of her. That's how they became best friends. So it it's a relationship that's very deep and profound. And in this movie, we see them have to go after each other. Oh, I don't even know if I answered your question. I think I just rambled. I think you're good. Oh, okay. Maybe some of it can be used. Uh, okay. What aspect of Poison Ivy's character kind of intrigued you the most when you were doing this research? This sounds very bad, what I'm about to say. I, I understand why she wants to do what she wants to do. I believe in her mission. Do I want to murder everyone on Earth? No. But when she says, look at what mankind has done to the Earth, we need to return the Earth to what it was purely before what is essentially, we're a cancerous species. Like, we have grown. There's too many human beings on Earth. That doesn't mean I want everyone to die. I, I, I think the same, the other side of humanity, yeah, we consume too much, we create a lot of garbage, but we're also such an advanced species because of what we provide and create and do for each other. So love and, and art and creativity and music and, and caring for each other is the reason why we should survive as a species. So... That's, even though Harley Quinn is crazy out of her mind, she's right to want to protect even Poison Ivy, who's going to kill everybody because she believes in her mission. She doesn't want to kill Harley Quinn, but they're, they're both right. So it is a little scary to say, I am, I, I, I am passionate about what what Poison Ivy believes in because I also believe in that but I also believe in what Harley Quinn believes in in this situation so is that the duality of of human you know I don't know but I I, 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 we are hurting the earth so I get it oh wow I talk a lot I'm so sorry oh jeez alright and being part of the whole Batman pantheon have you um, had some great experiences with that so far or like how does it feel to be in that it's I really like these guys, but this is the first time that I've met Lauren Lester and Kevin Conroy. I never recorded with anyone. Um, uh, And uh, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. uh, They're so funny. And and I listened to, like, all the interviews of Kevin Conroy, (laughs) of Fat Man on Fat Man, and all these other... So, to meet him, and then he goes into the voice, it's just like... (laughs) It's so... It feels like... And I'm, I know, I'm acting like a child. I'm 48 years old. Like, I'm a grown woman. But it feels like, oh, my God, I'm with the big dogs. These guys are real. It's, it's, obviously, I'm going to need a nap. Because uh, it's... <laughs> overstimulating. I, a little bit. I mean, this place can be overstimulating. Well, you guys must have been down I want to ask you about that, because, actually, you and I met in 2000 for the specials. Oh, my gosh. And so, there was... What, this was about a third the size, so your popularity oh, yeah. career has grown, and you stayed t- in touch with the nerd culture. Did you predict? Could you have predicted that? How does it feel that you are so? I, I honestly, connected? I never saw Comic Con becoming what it is now, and I came as a fan uh, with like Mr. Show guys, like Brian Posehn and Rob Schraub, and I don't know. There were a bunch of us. We came for years. Like 97, 98 to 2004, I think, as 
I love that I'm part of an animated movie because to me that is what this was. Um, and I know I'm one of those people like, oh, this place is so much better before. <laughs> <laughs> I used to come and buy original art. Look at all these jumps. But which is terrible because I make, a gra- I make a great living acting. Um, but there's something about being here with an animated feature that just feels really good. So I'm cons- continuously honored when they ask me to be a part of it. And thank you for asking that question and pointing out that we met back then. Life is long and good, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. One, just one last quick thing. Go. We yeah. see the looming Gary. <laughs> <laughs> looming Gary. What's it like to step back and have the role that you have Oh, thanks. It's it's great. I wish that it hadn't. I wish that it hadn't happened because of the misfortune of losing Thomas. Um, I was just going to come and do five or six guest episodes, and then that happened. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I don't know. I wasn't there. Then they asked me to stay because they knew losing Hotch, especially after losing um, uh, Shamar Moore um, Morgan. They knew that it would hurt the fans. They knew that the fans wanted to see those guys. So they said, please come back. And I, all I get at the supermarket and the airport all the time is, why did you leave that show? Why won't you go back? It doesn't matter. They're like, I love drunk history, but geez, man, why'd you leave? So it felt right, and, and I'm thrilled to be back. I'm glad Emily Prentice didn't actually die from the table leg and the spine. Like, I'm very happy about that now. Uh, so... I'm really honored and happy to be back, and and I can't say I miss them all because I saw those guys all the time anyway. So it's just nice to be back in the fold. Thank you for asking about that as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. I have saved the biggest and the best for last. I've spoken with Kevin Conroy a few times over the years. I think, truthfully, one of the nicest guys I have encountered in the business, I want to say, you know, a week after uh, this interview took place, um, but I, I need to give credit to Andrea Romano, the voice director. She announced her retirement uh, last weekend uh, and from working in, in animation. And without Andrea Romano, we wouldn't have Kevin Conroy. She was the one who chose him to play Bruce Wayne and Batman. And years ago, he had told me, you know, he was not a Batman fan. Uh, he became a Batman fan. He's always treated Batman as Shakespeare. Uh, it's like approaching like Hamlet. And uh, it's an interesting take. It's always worked for me because clearly uh, Kevin Conroy has become an icon. Adam West was one uh, as Batman. And I really think more than any other actor since, it's, it's Kevin Conroy, even though you might not know his face, but you know his voice. And so this is one of the best conversations uh, that I had all, all weekend at Comic-Con and, and certainly one of the, the most fun and, and touching that I've had with Kevin Conroy. So here we go. The man, the myth, the bat, Kevin Conroy. I've been doing a lot of these. Yeah. They're yeah. fun. They're so fun. this is exciting. Batman and Harley Quinn. I know. That's a weird combination. Isn't it fun? So, yeah, so right. how are you feeling? But what's about fun about it is it's the lightness and the dark, you know? Mm-hmm. And also it's strong females and strong males. Mm-hmm. So it's a really balanced film for the audience. So um, are there clashes? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Batman thinks Harley's working with him, and then maybe she isn't. You know what I mean? I don't want to give anything away. Sure. 
but she's incredibly manipulative. You know, she's crazy. She drives him crazy. She's, you know, he thinks he has her under control, and then she goes spinning out of control. Um, that's there's a lot of humor in it, and that's a lot of the humor is that she's so unpredictable, and he's so predictable. You know, he's so rooted um, that it, it drives him nuts dealing with this chick. <laughs> um, I think the audience is going to get a kick out of it. It's, it's fun. It's, 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 it's a lighter take on a Batman story. Uh, but there's a lot of drama in it, too. What's it like to lighten that up every now and then? I mean, you played the character serious so many times. What's it like to get a chance to kind of lighten Batman up? Oh, it's fun. Oh, I have so much fun doing it because, you know, I don't get to play the comedy, really, because Batman is not a comedic character. Right. But he gets to kind of deadpan it, and and that that's his version of, of comedy, underplaying things. And that's fun. But, um, like, in there's a new series we're doing, Justice League Action, I'm doing Batman in that. There's a lot of comedy in that, and in that one, I really do get to play more of the comedy. That's fun. And on the flip side, you just last year done Injustice Two and played so incredibly dark. Yeah. And so, how does that feel within you know kind of the approach? How do you prep? And you've done a, a lot of different versions of Batman and been the consistency through it. But how does it change for you? The the trick to me for 25 years has been has been to keep it consistent to keep it truthful not let it get stale and the way to do it is to always go back to the childhood trauma of losing his parents because that's what inspired the voice for me that dark gritty I mean that's that's where that voice came out of and as long as I keep putting myself there emotionally um, it remains spontaneous and it's worked Bruce Bruce is is very critical um, and he'll tell you when you're not there and he's um, he's told me that I'm, I've, I've remained very consistent, so I'm, I'm proud of that. But then in these later versions where you get to play more comedy, uh, it's just fun because as an actor, you like to be challenged. You know, you like to play some of the lighter colors in a character. Um, so that's been fun, fun for me, without losing the darkness. You know. So I know that um, we were hearing about how Nightwing, you have this different relationship, kind of you know more equal. Yeah, he's grown up. Right? Yeah. And then they're all driving him crazy <laughs> um, it's yeah he's trying to juggle all these personalities Nightwing has grown up he's become more of his own man um, Harley's being completely unpredictable and um, Poison Ivy is you know trying to destroy the world for all the right reasons she thinks you know um, so he's got to be the same center of all that. So actually, there's a lot of humor in in dealing with that stuff because it is so it's so insane. But I think it really works. Was it nice to go from seriousness with the killing joke to something like this? It really was. I love doing Killing Joke. I thought Mark just hit a home run with that performance. He was wonderful, and and I was proud of my work in it. It was, but boy. Talk about dark. That was so dark. Um, actors love to to stretch. They just do. Especially stage actors. They like to try different roles on and, you know, 
show different sides of what they can play. So it's fun for me within the same character of being able to go to something as dark as The Killing Joke and then to play some of the absurdity of uh, Batman Harley Quinn. How much are you changing the inflection of the character between the darkness and the light? Or is it just the characters like going con- through the script? The character's consistent. He has to remain consistent. That's what makes it funny. He's consistent. That's how you play comedy. You play the truth, and the world is absurd around you. You know what I mean? If you start playing the absurdity, it's not funny anymore. So he's, you know, Mr. Centered, Mr. Rooted, Mr. And everyone else is bouncing off the walls, and he's like looking at them like, good Lord. And that's funny. Yeah. Well, you've just referenced that it's been 25 years, maybe 26. You are not just playing an icon, you've kind of become an icon in the role. No, thank you. How does that feel as a responsibility? And you're doing this for another decade, another 25? It's a, you know what's amazing about it is the wonderful thing about coming to Comic Cons is you, you get to interact with the audience. But the stories that I hear of people. I mean, I've had people say, just hold me. And I hold them, and they start crying. And they say, you don't understand the kind of childhood I had. And you were my safe harbor. You were what got me through a horrible childhood. One young woman was a professional now. She said, I'm the only one that got out of the projects on the south side of Chicago, the building I was in. Everyone I grew up with is either dead or in prison. She said, I had Batman every afternoon when the rest of them were out in the streets getting into trouble. She said, and you taught me the difference between right and wrong. And it's such a, you know, and they're putting that on me. And I always say to these people, you got you out of that situation. You know, you're the one who's responsible for that. And and God bless you for it. And they go, no, but it was Batman. And I say, well, that's wonderful that you associate that with Batman. And that you associate me with the character. I'm, I'm so honored. But you're the one who did that. But everyone needs that that role model everyone needs a role model and a lot of kids don't have them now they're growing up in either broken homes or or no homes and Batman is a wonderful safe harbor for a lot of a lot of uh, challenged kids and it's God I, I, I can't think of something I'd be more proud of to be associated with is that good? that's really good oh good 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 <laughs> okay. Just reflect a bit on Adam West and maybe some of the influences that you took from him and what it was like to work with him. Uh, the influence, I think the most important influence I got from Adam was um, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense be humble. I mean that in an ennobling sense. He was so humble without being self-effacing. You know what I mean? He was just... He knew his worth, but he didn't flaunt it. You know what I mean? He didn't play the star. He was just always happy to be there for a day's work. He was always appreciative of a day's work and gave it 100%. Ephraim was the same way. And that's just an old school of acting that... It's just so, I think, refreshing, you know, to be around people who are that noble. 
noble enough to be humble. Last question. I think I just did it. <laughs> or is there another one? Is there another one? Well, the challenge in this one would have been playing the lighter part while keeping the dark rooted in Batman. Because your temptation as an actor is to ham it up. You know what I mean? Just like people, you know? You just want to go there because you're sort of winking at the audience. And the temptation was to not let myself do it. That's great. Thank okay, you so much. Thanks. Great. Thanks. And once again, I want to thank uh, Gary Moranu for uh, arranging that, uh, all those conversations. It was wonderful. I'm really looking forward to seeing Batman and Harley Quinn. I think you told me last week, you are, you got a ticket, right? You're going to see it? Oh, yeah, the definitely. Yeah. yeah. So looking forward to that. Um, so I'll probably have to wait to home, for home video. I don't think I'm going to be able to go on Monday, but uh, uh, I'm really excited about this film. So... Um, Thank you once again, and thank you all for listening. Uh, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. We'll be back again uh, soon with a new episode that will be regular news and, and, and stories of the week, but also still more interviews from Comic-Con. Uh, it's probably going to take us through a lot of episodes <laughs> for the next few weeks, so uh, thanks again. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers only for good. And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www. The Great Luke L U K E S K I dot com.